uh, good morning again. Um, Bobby's out this week, and so I had the privilege of, of uh, turning to the Word with you guys. And when I was a kid, my grandfather said very little. Uh, I just, I never heard him speak. I think it's where I got my own quiet nature from. Uh, my reserve nature is from my, my mom's dad. We shared a bedroom for three years, my grandparents and me. Uh, they moved in when my sister had chicken pox to help out for the week, and they left three years later, is the way my parents tell it. Um, but we shared a bedroom for three years, and my grandpa didn't speak. He just said very little, but, but he never stopped moving. And so they also had a house out in the country, and when they would go home, we would go with them sometimes. And uh, this was the kind of place there was always something to be fixed. There was always more broken than we had time to fix. And so when we would go out there, we would build things and we would fix things and we would repair things and we would replace things. And my grandpa didn't say much, but I do remember he was incredibly patient with me and he always reminded us, measure twice so you only have to cut once. Because regardless of what the general contractor tells the new guy, there is no board stretcher in the trailer and you will not find it. And so you need to take heed, slow down, Figure out what it is that you need to do, and that way you can do it in the right way. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians today. Corinth is a, a pretty fascinating place. It seems like there could not be a more perfect place for Paul to put down roots and never leave. In fact, I wonder, and Paul never says one way or the other, so we'll never know, but I wonder if when Paul made it to Corinth... He thought maybe this would be the place that he would finish his ministry. See, Corinth was a, a, an oddly located place on the southern uh, end of Greece, and it was a, a treacherous uh, a sailing to go around, and so this was the skinniest portion, and so they actually built a little track system where they could unload boats, uh, take the boat out of the water, roll it across Corinth, and then set it back down on the other side. And so there was constant... Uh, uh, transplants coming into Corinth. It was also a place uh, that there was no Roman governor, but they did have uh, as a place for retirement, they would give Roman soldiers land in Corinth. It was a way to keep the Roman presence there. There were the second largest games behind the Olympics, the Isthmian Games, happened every other year in Corinth. The athletes lived in tents. If you know much about Paul, that was his occupation. He was a tent maker. So Paul wouldn't have been seen as an outsider, or he wouldn't have been looked at as less than because he didn't live there. Nobody really lived there long term. He could build tents as long as he wanted because the athletes always needed places to stay. It was a place where constant people were passing through on their way to other places that Paul could evangelize and proselytize, and then they would go off into all over uh, uh, the, the Mediterranean. It seems like a perfect place for Paul. Paul lands originally there uh, after fleeing some persecution, and he ends up uh, in the temple. He's eventually kicked out of the temple, and he does something that's probably not recommended. He takes the song leader, and they plant a church across the street, and they have their own house church directly across the street from the temple, led by Paul and the song leader Sosthenes. They have this house church for a while. Paul stays for 18 months and eventually is um, persecuted to the point where he needs to flee. 
He writes four letters that we know of, two that we actually have in writing, 1st and 2nd Corinthians. In 1st Corinthians, it's Paul's first attempt to right some of the wrongs that have happened in the church since he left. They ask a bunch of questions. And so Paul's going to say over and over again, now concerning this, and now concerning that, and now concerning that. Before he can get to any of those things, Paul deals with four chapters. He deals with unity. Before we can get to any of the doctrinal uh, uh, positions that you should take, before we can get to any of the the ways, the polity, uh, the way the church should function, before we can do any of that, you need to understand that all of you are united in who Jesus is. Eventually, he's going to get to answering lots of questions, and then all the way in chapter 11, he gets to the Lord's Supper. Now, there's a a real problem going on. Most of the problems in the church at Corinth, you can pretty quickly uh, deduce that they are between the haves and the have-nots. The wealthier, more um, socially uh, uh, popular folks in the church are taking advantage of their position, and it's hurting the lower class members of the church. And again, in the Lord's Supper, we have those that don't work normal jobs, getting there early, getting fat on the bread and getting drunk on the wine. And then when those who have to work until the sun goes down show up to take communion as a body of believers, there's nothing left. Paul says, if you're hungry, eat at home. This is not the place for that. Communion is not intended to solve your hunger, and in a moment you'll see just that. There's not much to it. It's not the point of this practice. Also, this is a thing that's to be done in community, and you're doing it before half the folks even show up. You're doing the wrong thing at the wrong time. This is part of the reason I wanted to make sure we had a moment to greet those around us. This is a deeply communal practice. It's not intended primarily to be done in small groups in your home and things like that. It's done in the local body of believers. This is our local body of believers, whether you had met or not. After dealing with all that, Paul finishes with a warning, and that's where I want to go this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 Verse 27, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be answerable for the body and blood of the Lord. Examine yourselves and only then eat the bread and drink the cup. For all who eat and drink without discerning the body eat and drink judgment against themselves. For this reason, many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judged ourselves, we would not be judged. When we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we might not be condemned along with the Lord, with the world. So then, my brothers and sisters, when you come together and eat, wait for one another. If you're hungry, eat at home so that when you come together, it will not be for your condemnation. But other things, I'll give instructions when I come. 
Paul says, what we're doing here is serious business. And some of you have begun to take it flippantly. Remember what Jesus says. We'll look at the passage in a second. What Jesus says, when we do this, we are remembering the body and the blood of the Lord. He says, when you choose to take it in an unworthy manner, you are shifting from being covered by the blood to being culpable for the blood. That you are, in essence, becoming liable for the death of Jesus. Now, all of that sounds like bad news. All of that sounds pretty scary. The next two words, examine yourself. Who then in this room could look inwardly and go, yeah, I'm qualified. I'm worthy. If Paul, in fact, means that before we can, you and I, before we can this morning take communion, that we have to look inwardly and deem ourselves worthy, I would hope none of us would have the boldness to open the bread and the cup. I think, though, what Paul might be hinting at is that when we examine ourselves, we are confronted with our own spiritual impoverty. We are spiritually impoverished. Beatitudes, first beatitude. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Now, I wish Jesus would have said it differently because what I think Jesus meant was blessed are those who recognize they're poor in spirit. Blessed are those who recognize how insufficient they are to save themselves. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. No true self-examination could come with any other reflection other than I am not worthy. I'm not worthy to take this bread. I'm not worthy to drink from this cup. So what then? We asked you to all get them. I've got one in my pocket that I plan to take. Well, he gives a second command. He says, examine yourself, but also he says, examine yourselves and only then eat, for all who eat, drink, discerning the body. Now, yours may say the body of the Lord. A lot of the early manuscripts do. Even without the word, the implication here is that first, we examine who's at the table, and second, we examine who's on the table. That is, the body and the blood of our Lord. This is the good news of Scripture, by the way. If Paul had only said, examine yourself and and then determine whether or not you are worthy, none of us could take communion. But if we can begin by recognizing our own spiritual poverty, our own uh, uh, spiritual insufficiency, only then can we look at the bread and look at the cup and recognize the significance of what Christ has done on our behalf. Only then can we take communion in a worthy manner. See, it's not either or. 
It would be dangerous of you to simply look inward and decide whether or not you should take it or not. Either you'll never take communion or you'll take it in an unworthy manner. It would also be unhealthy for you to ignore your own spiritual poverty and look straight to the grace of Jesus and go, give me more. It's both and. Examine yourself and discern the body. He says, then we get to shift right the other way from being culpable for the death of Jesus to being covered by the death of Jesus. Either a lower understanding of yourself than Scripture gives, I'm not worthy and can never take participate in this practice or a higher view of self of of course I'm worthy look how good I am or both unworthy ways in which we take the Lord's Supper only by taking seriously our own sin and then taking seriously the cost of of Jesus's death can we rightly commune with the Lord He says, we've got folks in the church that are, are weak and ill and some have died. And listen, I, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't know if this is alcohol poisoning because they're getting drunk every night or if this is the Lord's judgment directly upon their actions. I don't know. I find it to be irrelevant. He says, these are serious stakes in the matter. He says, but... When we're judged by the Lord, truly judged, then we're disciplined, that is, made right, right? That is a, not a fun process, but a loving process, so that we're not condemned along with the world. So then, here we are. We've gathered together. We've planned to take communion. I suspect most, if you wanted it, you now have your elements. And we have an opportunity to do this. In a moment, we're going to take that opportunity. We're going to take the bread and we're going to do it slowly today. We're going to reflect a little bit. We're going to examine ourselves and discern the body. For some of you, you're in a good relationship with the Lord. You've been engaging with Scripture daily. You've been been gathering with believers, and you may take it quickly. That's fine. There'll be a song of worship that you can stand and sing, sit and sing, sit and let wash over you. But for some of us, we we may need a minute. We may need a minute to reflect deeply upon my own spiritual poverty, upon the grace of the Lord that would take on a cross, take on death on my behalf. Jesus, Son of God, died a gruesome death so that you and I can actually live Not as the world says we live, but as Scripture says we live. 
Because of that, we have to take seriously what we do when we remember him. I'm going to read this passage, and then you're going to have a few minutes to just reflect. Take it at your own pace. There is no too fast or too slow. Simply examine yourselves and discern the body. For I received from the Lord what I also handed on to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took a loaf of bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. He said, this is my body. It's for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Thank you.